as we come into worship, listen to what Jesus tells us. No one, no one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. But strive, seek first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. May the great promise of that be written upon our hearts. May we desire what God wants for our lives and through our lives. Jesus encountering one of these people in John chapter 4, verses 7 through 15. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Imagine that, the God of the universe telling you, I'm thirsty, give me a drink. Jesus' disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Well, two things. First of all, men did not talk to even their wives in public, whether they were Jews or Samaritans in those days. So she's wanting to know, why are you talking to me? And then second of all, you're a Jew. What are you doing talking to me? A, a no-life Samaritan. She's amazed. In fact, John tells us parenthetically, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. There's a classic understatement. It's the Hatfields and the McCoys. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw this water. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God take this word and write it upon our hearts. May we see ourselves in this story and in this encounter. And may we be blessed to experience Jesus' quenching love that speaks to the dryness of our souls. Let's pray. Father, let your good news come now and find us at the well of this life and quench us as only you can. Come in the fullness and the power, the assurance of your Holy Spirit so that the word does not come only in the spoken word. 
But rather, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, you are our well, you are our salvation. And we pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. Who was this woman? I've described for us a little bit about who the Samaritans were and who she was. She had another thing going on. None of the women would even talk to her, not even not the Samaritan women, because she was, to put, use the ancient Greek term, a brazen hussy. Do you know that? <laughs> she had been around. It was regarded, serial marriage was not uncommon in those days. You could be married three times, but that was the limit. She had been beyond that. So who was she? She had to come in the middle of the day. She had to go to a well. She had to go by herself. She, she had no connection to anyone. The reality is she was thirsty, but she was longing for something more than she knew. She says, give me this living water. Like, yeah, give me the magic wand. I want to call the 800 number. I want whatever it is you're talking about. She did not know the fullness of what it was he was describing, but she was encountering the one who could be that living water. Not just give it to her, but could be that. And what she was experiencing was what all the Samaritans needed to experience, what all of us need to experience, and that is the source of our living water in Jesus Christ. And that source comes from knowing that we belong to him, and all that we are belongs to him, and that everything we experience belongs to him, and that there will be, therefore, no lack in any way, shape, or form when we are realizing that because we know whose we are. The Samaritans didn't know that. They did not have their birth certificates straightened out. They thought they were an entity unto themselves, as I've said. Now, I've been thinking about this whole idea of who we belong to and how we know who we belong to. And I, I, a really interesting practical example of that came to me just yesterday. Turns out, Joel Kirk is a new dog dad, which means that Hallie's a new dog mom. But this part of the story pertains to, well, actually to both of you, because Hallie, you work in adoptions, okay? So an adoption has taken place. But Joel, you work in titles at the DMV, okay? So here's, we, here's where we go. Joel has this new dog. Hallie has this new dog. And she is from, oh, let me tell you. Ho, ho, ho. Is she from good stock? Is she from good stock? Joel calls me up yesterday and, and asks, what was your dog, Barley's dad's name? And I said, his name was Catching Fire. And Joel said, well, he was catching fire, all right. Because two months after Barley was born, Piper was born, same dad, so we are now related, okay? <laughs> Our dogs are half-siblings. Now, here's where I'm going with this. Piper has a title that says she belongs to Joel and Hallie, and that was jo why Joel was calling me yesterday. He was excited. Hallie's down finalizing the adoption with Sally, Hallie and Sally. 
I bring this up because, as I said, Joel works in titles at DMV. He knows how significant a title is. He knows how cryptic these kinds of things can be. And if any of you have ever had an encounter with DMV, you may have some sense of how complicated <laughs> things can be. It makes rocket science look pretty simple. When I worked in the motorcycle business, we would from time to time have someone come in and they were all ready to buy a new motorcycle. We were all excited about that. In fact, uh, Jeannie, it was just down the street from your high school, our motorcycle store. But here would be the problem. They, they got this motorcycle they wanted to trade in from their uncle Harry. Harry, where are you? Not, it wasn't you, okay. <laughs> and Uncle Harry had lost the title, but we knew it was Uncle Harry's motorcycle, so it's really not a problem, they said. There's just one tiny problem, right, Joel? No title. It was from East Egypt someplace, but nobody knew exactly where. And the rea here's the reality, is that when we do not know who owns something, when we do not know really who owns something, it becomes pretty worthless. You know why? Because no one really can claim it. It's just sort of out there floating. And the reality is we know that. And you know why we know that? Because every single person here longs to be claimed, longs to belong, longs to have the ultimate claim placed upon their life. And that, life, that claim comes from the life of the one who said, you're mine. You'll always be mine. You'll never belong to anyone else. You will not belong to the power of evil. No one's going to take you away from me. Like we sang in the opening song, draw me close to you. Never let me go. And Jesus is the one who says, that's the living water. I claim you. I'm giving you a title. If it has been lost, I'm putting that title back in your hands. But the title has my name on it. And that's what we're talking about today. Because today we look at who really has the title to our lives in considering whether our heart truly is Christ's home. Again, the question, do we want Jesus to have full control of our lives? Our past, our present, our future, our losses, our gains, our heartbreaks, our celebrations, do we want him to have everything? Because until we want this, we will be trying to hold our lives together on our own. How many of you are finding that to be a really delightful experience of trying to hold things together on your own? It kind of looks like a cross between Lucy and the candy factory and trying to hold life together with duct tape. It just doesn't work, does it? Doesn't work. Like the woman at the well, we will be trying to do this and we will be living a lonely, thirsty life. And the irony is that we will be in a state of denial until we admit, as the television program goes, admitting whose life is it anyway. Mm -hmm. That's the key. C.S. Lewis put it so well. He said, for each of us, the Baptist's words are true. John the Baptist. He must increase and I must decrease. He will be infinitely merciful to our repeated failures, 
How many of you need to know that? He will be infinitely merciful to our repeated failures. He says, I know no promise that he will, ex- that he will accept a deliberate compromise. I know no promise that he will accept a deliberate compromise. Oh, well, Jesus, you can have this part of me, but not that part of me. For he has, in the last resort, nothing to give us but himself. How many of you have had Jesus show up and give you $50,000 on your doorstep? New car in your garage? No. All he gives us is himself. And all he has is all we need. And all we need is all that he is. And C.S. Lewis says, he can give that only insofar as our self-affirming will retires. How many of you are ready for retirement? Some of you are a little young for that. The retirement that God wants is for us to retire from trying to be the property managers of our lives and make room for him in, the, in our soul. Our soul is the essence of everything that we're about. That's where he's got room to work. And this will only happen when we stop trying to either do it ourselves or pretend that our lives are already neat and tidy. Thank you very much. Anybody got that life? Don't raise your hand because we all know better. Our lives are not neat and tidy. But the good news of the gospel is that though we can't keep our lives the way they need to be, Jesus can, and Jesus wants to, and Jesus will, and Jesus will change us. Little by little, weakness by weakness, I'm starting to realize this. I'm starting to realize this. And a prayer from Pastor Chuck Swindoll caused me to see this when I heard him pray this. And I hope this will be your prayer too. Lord, this is your problem. This is your life to fix. It's not mine. You take control. Let me know what you want me to do if I'm to be involved in the solution. Guess what? We may not be part of the solution. You let me know what you want me to do if I'm to be involved in the solution. And you know what Jesus is likely to say to you? Sit this one out. Just sit down, shut up, hold on, hang on. I got this one. You didn't know Jesus talked like that, did you? He does. He does, because he loves us. And people who love us talk to us honestly that way. Chuck continues with the prayer. Lord, by leaving it with you, I consider it solved. Now, some of us kind of pray that prayer from time to time. And then what do we do? We take it back. We wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning. We worry about it, or we try to do something. There's a a great but little-known Kevin Klein movie called Life as a House. I'll bet no one here has seen it. In that film, a father and a son are building a house together. And the son has all kinds of visions, but in the end realizes who the house belongs to. And he takes the keys from his dad, whose dad smiles, and he goes to the trailer a young girl and her mother are barely living in. I'm I'm talking old, beat-up, small trailer. 
And he stands at the door and he says, my father and I built a house. It is for you. And he hands her the keys and walks away. This is what Jesus wants to do by taking the title to our homes, our lives. So let's consider what it looks like for this to happen in how we live. What does it mean for Jesus to be the owner of our house and for us to be his servant? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you real simply. And it is a great gift. And it is, Hallie, one of your favorite words, counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense on our world's terms to let the house belong to Jesus and for us to choose, rather than to be masters, to be servants. Because here's what it comes down to. We get to trust Jesus. Notice I didn't say we have to trust Jesus, but the reality is until we are trusting him, we will not know what it means to have the joy of living in the house he has built for us. We have to, and get to, obey him, to seek his will, to think of how he would have us live, spending our lives for him, with him, to seek him to be a healer and to seek him, to seek to be a healer like him, to live in his strength and not in our own meagerness, to recognize we need to ask Jesus all the time what he wants us to do or not do and to be in living out his will for our lives. That's what it comes down to. This is going to change us. How many of us want to be changed radically? I mean, really radically changed. And I know, you all want to see, well, let me see the fine print on that one. (laughs) What does that mean? Until we want to be changed the way Jesus wants to change us, we will not know the joy and the fullness of what it means for him to be the owner of this life. Guess what? He already is in life and in death. He's in charge. But it's also going to change the world and our ministry to the world as we let him be the one who owns this life. How the story of Jesus reaching in to make us his own and not our own happens as we transfer that title to him and realize it's always been yours. It's always been yours. Let me share something that struck me very powerfully recently. I've known this story for a long time. This woman and, and I are about the same age. I, I, I heard this a long time ago, but recently Nancy and uh, Carl and Karen Delane and I got to hear this in person. The woman's name is Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you know her, some of you don't, but 50 years ago this year, she dove into a lake head first. Mo, I'm thinking about you diving into that swimming pool. And she broke her neck, and she became a quadriplegic. And here's the story. After living as a quadriplegic for 45 years, it's now 50, Johnny Erickson Tata reflected on this diving accident that changed her life. We've all had a diving accident. The question is, what will we do with it? As a 14-year-old, Johnny had embraced Jesus as her Savior. Good thing. 
But in her words, she had confused the abundant Christian life with the great American dream. <laughs> do we do that? Yeah. Jesus is on my side and everything's going to be fine. And she said this, I was a Christian and would lose weight, get good grades, get voted captain of the hockey team, go to college, marry a wonderful man. This is her view of being a Christian and, and equating it with the great American dream because now that I'm a, a Christian, these are all my dreams that he's going to make come true. I would marry a man who made $250,000 a year and we'd have 2.5 children. <laughs> what they did with the other half, I don't know. <laughs> but she says, it was me focused. It was me focused. And that's the problem. What can God do for me, she said. I almost thought that I had done God a great big favor by accepting Jesus. Aren't I nice? And my boyfriend and I were doing some things together that we knew were not doing Jesus a favor. In April 1967, I came home from a sordid Friday night date and cried, Oh God, I'm staining your reputation by saying I'm a Christian. Yet doing one thing Friday night and another thing Sunday morning, I'm a hypocrite. I want you to change my life. Please do something in my life that will jerk it right side up because I'm making a mess of the Christian faith in my life, and I don't want that. I want to glorify you. And then three months later, she says, I had that diving accident. Immediately after the accident, Johnny told God, you will never be trusted with another of my prayers. Whoa. You will never be trusted with another of my prayers. How many of us have been so disappointed that whether or not we said it out loud, that's exactly what we did? You will never be trusted again with another of my prayers because it's my house and you messed it up. She said, but after struggling with anguish and anger, I prayed one short prayer that changed my life. Oh God, oh God, if I can't die, if I can't die, show me how to live. That was probably the most powerful prayer I had ever prayed. When Karen and Nancy and Carl and I saw and heard Johnny in September, she said, you know what? I love this chair. I've been in this chair 50 years now. I, if I didn't have this chair, I wouldn't know Jesus. and I wouldn't know the, the life that he had for me. And I can't wait to get home to heaven in this chair and stand up and thank Jesus for this chair. And then look at Jesus and say, say Jesus, now send that chair to hell because I don't need that chair anymore. Oh God, if I can't die, show me how to live. My friends, this is what transferring the title is all about. And it needs to happen every single day, and it can happen every day. It is what it was about for Johnny Erickson and still is for her every single day. It is what it was about for the woman at the well, and it is what it is about for you and me. We know, learn to know every day what living water really is, what, who we really belong to, whose we are, what our citizenship is, who's got the title, and that it is clear. 
when I can read my title clear, well, you know what? It is clear. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, because God so loved the world, he came in person. And until this transaction, this transferring the title, takes place, we will be lost. We will be lost. And do you know what the worst of it is? We may not even know we're lost. We live in a world that tells us there is no such thing as lost. Because wherever we are, that's where we want to be. But then why are so many people miserable? Why is the richest place on earth where people are dying of spiritual thirst every day? All around us. Dying when they're one age and being buried many years later. Dried up because they don't know the hope of the one who loves them more than life itself. You know why? It is because we think the house is ours. We think we are the ones who own the building and know what needs to happen and not happen in it. Johnny didn't think that diving accident was supposed to happen to her house when she was 14. We don't think God is supposed to allow or even cause the things that happen in our lives to happen. But even when we think the house is ours, it belongs to God. And anything God allows or even causes, as Johnny will tell you, is to get us to realize God wants full possession of our hearts. A heart in God's hand without a title resists change. A heart in God's hand without that full title resists change. God wants to change our hearts. May today be that day. May tomorrow be that day. May the day after that be that day we learn who really owns this house, our lives. And may we get down on our knees and thank God for being willing to come in and repair and restore and renew so that we may share with others what it means to make our heart Christ's home. Transfer the title today. And if you don't know what that means, come see me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you said it so perfectly. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Indeed, Lord Jesus, you did not come into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through you might be saved. And we pray that we would let that happen through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would surrender to you, and that in that surrendering, others would see the glorious hope of giving you all that we are. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Now as we go out from here, I want you to realize we are people with an identity. God has claimed us. He has placed the crown on us. We are his princes and princesses, and we will be home with him one day. In the meantime, realize as we go from this place, we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do through us where we are. May, be, may we believe it and therefore go joyfully 
in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.